So I think this is a good transition into the hackathon projects because I can give a really good example. Oh yeah. So I have two Easier examples. Fire. So the first one I <laughs> was kind of like an idea that I had randomly. I was like looking at insurance products and I don't know why, but the word volcano popped in like into my mind. Volcano. <laughs> and like, volcano and insurance. Hmm. And I looked it up and it was a thing that didn't really exist or if it existed, it was very hard to kind of get like coverage uh, for. So yeah, the idea is that we try to make an insurance company for volcanoes. So the way it kind of works is that we use Ethereum, but we are you saying volcano? Volcano, like like a volcanic eruption. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. Yeah. All right. I was just like lava sure. burning down your house. <laughs> so, um, an interesting statistic for that is that, and I didn't know this at the time. Like, I I was kind of doing the idea as like a joke because it sounded it sounded like exotic and cool, right? But it turns out there's a, there's actually like roughly every year, and I got this from like Encyclopedia Britannica or something. I think that's my source. That approximately there is about one billion dollars in property damage from volcanoes every single year, which is that's pretty devastating. Yeah, so that's the way, a market right there. Yeah, so the way it kind of works with the contract is that there is the kind of insurance company, right? So the insurance company, the insurance company puts up their liquidity, right? And then once that liquidity is there, it's like okay, I have funds that can be tied into a policy right you know what i'm saying so like an insurance company has to have money in in order for someone to buy a policy because if you don't have any liquidity then that doesn't make any sense right yeah that wouldn't make sense so i'm the insurance company i put up my liquidity and then once i have that liquidity there then someone can come in and buy a policy so what we do is we record the present time and they could put in uh, the coordinates of where they live and it's not restricted to where you live because I won't go too into it, but there's a lot of ways to kind of like break that. If you try to like record the person's exact location, like if, if you, if you're like on like a VPN, I think you could try to like cheat where you're living. Right. You guys get okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But so I guess location doesn't really matter that much in crypto. Well, I mean, it's in terms of the insurance I mean, policy, the application of the, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a proof of concept. I think it's reasonable for the application that we had because let's say something like this, like you live in California, right? And you have a vacation home, like you're working in Silicon Valley, you got a lot of money, right? And you want to buy like insurance for your home in Iceland because Iceland has a lot of volcanic eruptions, right? Or Japan or mm-hmm. Italy, right? These are countries that I didn't really realize how bad the eruptions can get. So... Yeah, you're saying there's a billion dollar market, so. Yeah, so the idea is that to get the present time, this is a little technical, but with the Ethereum blockchain, you could try to get the time based off of the block time. But what Ethereum miners can do is that they can actually manipulate block time and try to like stretch, uh, kind of stretch time in and out to be longer or less than, so to speak. Like the blocks are not deterministic. They're not exact. It's not like every couple seconds there will always be a block it might be like 15 or 20 seconds right okay and they can kind of like try to collude to do that with how do they do that 
I guess they could, it's hard to say, I guess they could just like not mine it, so to speak, but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not an expert on uh, minor extractable value. It's kind of a more complicated topic. Okay. But, yeah, maybe we don't need to yeah. get into that today. Yeah, but but that's like a that's like a thing to watch out for. So what we did is we actually used an API to get the present time, and that API is in JSON format. So that since it's on JSON, we can bring it into Chainlink. That's great. Yeah. What does what does so, Chainlink use? Language. So Chainlink. So so Chainlink has a bunch of different services. That service I just mentioned right there was an API get request. So I could literally use any like. In terms of Ethernet, that's like layer seven, like Ethernet networking. So we're okay. able to get, we have an API and put it directly on the blockchain, like any real world data, as long as it's in like a yep. JSON format, which is a very popular, I think it's JavaScript object yeah. notation, very popular, yeah. very openly used in industry. Uh, so we get that data, it's inscribed, you bought a policy at this place at this time, right? Now, there's, so that you, so the owner of the insurance company, they have no way of touching those funds at once it's signed, right? Because then you're you would be kind of exit scamming someone, right? So the only way those funds can be unlocked is two ways. Number one, you have a volcanic eruption that is plus or minus like one coordinate from where you're living, and you bought the policy before that eruption, right? You guys get what I'm kind of saying? Like you yep. bought a policy within your area and you bought it before it happened. So that's a legitimate claim. But okay. if, if it's been over a year, then the owner can actually liquidate that. They can delete your policy and claim your funds because it's like, okay, this didn't happen. It's been a year. We're going to take your policy and delete it and liquidate uh, the funds that are tied to it. Gotcha. So and is think, it basically held in like a, a holding area? Yeah, it's held in the smart contract. So you would. Gotcha. So the way you would send the Ethereum is going back to the this is very technical, but like, and the EDM, can you, can you pr- maybe break yeah. down the, the process of like actually sending between two addresses, like how that works? In, yes. Yeah. So to send funds, so actually let me back up a little bit. So when you actually claim the policy, like if you get the reward, it would also delete the policy that we had that logic as well so that people wouldn't abuse it and keep claiming policies that were within that area. So there was a ton gotcha. of, but anyway, the way you would send funds to a contract is use a Kind of a the, the simplest way to do it is I do a require statement. So require uses revert in the EVM. So like if you let me put it this way: so the, if you have a require statement and it's not true, the transaction will fail, and then like the EVM will say, "Hey, you're trying to do something that's not allowed. Like you didn't send me enough money, or like this logic isn't true, or like hey, you bought this the data doesn't work. The wrong yeah. yeah, exactly. Or it says the data, or like you're you're not eligible for something. Like something isn't right. I'm not going to do this because you're trying to do something bad, so to speak. That's the that's the purpose of the require statement. It's like a security feature, and it'll it'll like return the gas that you paid up to that point if you hit that too. So it's 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 forgiving, right? It doesn't just waste your gas. It'll give it back to you. That's that's nice. So so require message dot value. That is. That's basically like the amount of Ethereum. So if you put one for that, that's one way, which is one times 10 to the 18 ETH. So you'd have to put one times 10 to the 18 Ethereum to actually send one Ethereum. So that's, that's like a small little tip for developers that are getting into the space as well. Cause I see, I was kind of confused with that. Like, why do I not see any ETH when I do this? And it's like, oh, it's because that's the smallest unit of ETH. So it's something to watch out for, right? 
Gotcha. This is a little and, pointer. Yeah. And so there's message.value, message.sender. This is another key component of this space. So, or Ethereum, the EVM. That's basically like the person that's currently connecting to the contract, right? So I could tell. Yeah. So the way we kind of tell in the contract, if you're the person that created the contract, is I look at the constructor. And if the constructor is uh, equal to, sorry. So we could set the person that deployed the contract message dot, sorry, owner is equal to message dot sender, right? So the person that connected and deployed it initially, that is the owner. That is the only person that will ever be considered the owner in the contract, right? And mm-hmm. I could check all that logic to be like, hey, are you the owners? Message dot sender equal to owner and all these other functions, right? So it's kind of like, if you want to get very technical, this is how this works. And this is why I think this is so valuable. That you could have all this custom logic and send the funds. So message. So I'll say it one more time with message dot value. Message dot value is how you send funds to the contract. Payable is how you actually move funds around more freely. So if I have a payable, the payable like payable, I think in terms of like who gets the funds and then the amount, so to speak. So that's how I could like automatically pay someone or I could liquidate funds, so to speak. So like if I'm the owner and someone bought a policy, I could take that premium that person paid. It paid automatically to the owner. I could do like payable owner and then put the amount. Gotcha. If that makes sense. But mm-hmm. so all, you, that, you could automated. technically do a higher value or a different value, right? Yeah, but like for that, you could put it as whatever you want, technically. I know, but what if someone up front, you only made them seem like it was some value, but then you really actually transfer more than that? Would well, your, it depends. Like, how on- does your code get checked? Like in order to be on the blockchain, a smart contract... Do you have to get verified by the network? So the checks that we had for the policy is that I think, so I don't have the exact code in front of me, but this is just like pseudocode I'm thinking. So to buy a policy, number one, you have to send Ethereum. So you have to send like a hundredth of an Ethereum in the value section. So we, we kind of like, I think automated that. We put that kind of in the back end, not the back end, but we put that in the front end. Like we forced the values in, you couldn't really see it. So that's one less thing that person has to look at, right? So the person just has to really, put in their, I guess, date information and get that from Chainlink, and then they just click a button. So they don't have, they, they actually don't even have to, like if you make a good front end, all that hard message.value stuff, that's already done for you. Like you don't that's have to worry about That's already done in the this background, is, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just talking about the very technical stuff because some people might, I know there might be, uh, there might not be super technical people listening to this, but this is good to know. Like to actually understand the technology shows the value in it. You're right, right. you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. Because some people just, you know, follow and then they end up, you know, giving their phrase out and then they lose all their money. So learning the actual background behind the architecture would help you better understand and like navigate this shit. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. Yeah. And the second project. So actually, I, I got a two for one deal with this hackathon. I finished. So that was actually the second project I did. But the first project. I did. And that, that was like a group project that worked with the, uh, some great people that I met online through the hackathon. Um, the first project that I did was completely solo, though. It was called Waygold. So Waygold is basically like a vending machine. So the idea is that it uses chain link price feeds like for gold, silver, and oil. Oil doesn't, I, oil was kind of like a proof of concept example because you wouldn't actually put a barrel of oil into your vending machine because <laughs> that's not, because it's huge, right? <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah, but realistically, you could put like an ounce of gold because it tracks the spot price of an ounce of gold and silver. Like that's realistic. Like in, if you go to Japan, 
or like this uh i think it's like a certain hotel in dubai mm-hmm. you could buy bars of gold out of vending machines it's like a real it's a real thing real how are they gold. price checking well here's the thing they they don't really tell they you. make the prices well they don't so i think there was an interview with one of the developers that made the one in dubai and they said that they had like a price source in germany but this was this is like 10 years ago like chain link didn't exist 10 years ago so i don't know exactly how they're getting that price feed and they were calling in (laughs) every day yeah i don't i don't know how like where they're getting it from so it does concern me so to speak but like if i hear someone says hey we're using our price feed from Chainlink. That gives me more confidence because the Chainlink architecture, it's decentralized by design. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Is that is Chainlink proof of stake or is it just a liquidity pool? Well, cha- again, Chainlink is not really, it's not really an L1. Chainlink is just Oh, a, is it built it on top way. of Ethereum? Kind of. So think of it this way. So let's say that we have a blockchain, right? A blockchain is deterministic, right? So it's like predict, it's something that's predictable. It's not random. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the real world, there's a lot of random stuff. Like weather is random, like sports betting, that's random. Uh, just there's a lot of randomness, right? Yeah. In the yeah. world. So the way you kind of, there's, that's been a problem. Like I remember listening to a lecture, I think a couple months ago that I think the head of the SEC did. He used to be like a, I think a lecturer at MIT. And someone asked a question about it how do blockchains get real world data? And I don't think Chainlink was really like popular back then. It was like very early, like 2016 or 2017 that that question was asked. And I was like, and I heard this interview like earlier this year. So like when I heard that question and I knew about Chainlink, I'm like, wow, I actually, I, people are asking about this. People are curious, like, how is this, how is this problem being solved? And Chainlink is actually trying to address it securely. Um, and Going back to randomness, uh, this is a good segue into another kind of feature that Chainlink has. It's Chainlink VRF. Uh, so I think it stands for verifiable random function. So it's basically, it's like an off-chain way of verifying that it was truly a random number because, and this is going to go back to minor extractable value, back to kind of where we're talking about block time. There's also a function that kind of gets like prob- like probability and random numbers in uh, Ethereum intrinsically, but the problem is that that can also be manipulated by minor extractable value. Like miners can try to collude and manipulate the random values. Yeah. So Chainlink is like, okay, we want to end this MEV nonsense. We want to actually solve this. We're going to use VRF. That's kind of like the reason why that exists. It's not just like a gimmick. It's there for a reason. And I think one other thing there's two other really cool projects that are relatively new so the the, the three main ones that I, I have used before are uh, price feeds like price feed aggregators apis for getting any data and then vrf like random numbers that are truly random right yeah. yeah but there's two other ones so there's one that went live kind of earlier this year i think in august or maybe a little earlier it's called Chainlink keepers it's basically like a devops tool so the, the value in it as like a a developer or someone that's using a contract is like, let's say that something happened on a contract, right? Usually what you have to do is you have to go in and manually claim something yourself, right? That's very annoying, right? If you want to just, if you have like a bot or something and you want to claim something, you don't want to have to deal with the bot and maintain it, right? So Chainlink actually has a thing called Chainlink Keepers. So Chainlink Keepers, the way it works is that if you write a contract and you make it, uh, basically 
compatible with Chainlink keepers, what happens is that if you write the code right and you write the job ID right and you fund the contract for the keepers, it'll automatically do the logic for you. Like it'll automatically like detect an event trigger and then it's a worker. Do it. Exactly. It's like a worker that's automated. So I haven't I haven't actually used it. The main reason I haven't used it yet is because um, the Coben is technical for technical people, but for Coben, the faucet is down for that, I think, still. And it's very hard to get it. I have some because I asked someone directly, but it's not easy to get. But like Rankin B is up, and I don't think Rankin B is supported for keepers yet. But if they do, I will try to experiment with it more. What's Rankin B's? Rankin B is like another testnet. So Coben, okay. Rankin B, and I think Robston are um, test nets where basically you can get free Ethereum and play with dApps. You can, like ho- you can host, yeah, just to test. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, there's like stuff like Hard Hat as well, where you can like also simulate an EVM so you don't have to waste funds too. But the, the problem with Hard Hat is that you can't really get real world API information with that. So if you want to actually get closer to production, you have to kind of use those test nets. And like Polygon kind of similarly has... Mumbai, and then I think Avalanche has Fiji. So it has all these different test nets. Like for that's, every mainnet, there's a test net so that you don't, so, cause some people, like this is like a good thing to know because someone asked me, uh, they asked me, Hey, uh, Mark, you're spending so much money. Are you, they asked me, like, are you spending a lot of money like doing all this testing? And I love it. Like this, this shows that some people just don't know. Some people don't know that, uh, you could test for free if you're using the right tools. And see, I love that. You can can make all these mistakes for free and not have to waste millions of dollars. That's, (laughs) that's the beauty of it. It's not just like, Hey, like throw it up in the air. Like they want everyone to contribute as much as possible. I will say this because this is another key thing for developers to learn because a lot of people have been talking about this is that for testing that prevents bugs, but vulnerabilities that's, that's much harder to detect. Like if you want to actually have something that's like bulletproof, and go live with it with investors, you should really get an audit because that will kind of see like beyond like your flow chart, like what could go wrong with your protocol. Like someone might be able to do some like crazy exploit and break it. Right. So here's, here's an example. I'm kind of going back to, we were talking about flash bots earlier, right. Or arbitrage because we'll talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Just- yeah. So the, yeah, the idea is that, with certain exchanges, they don't use Chainlink. They use just like on-chain data from their pool and they try to like average that data out. So what people will do is they will use a flash bot to kind of exploit that, right? They'll like take, so they'll take out a flash loan and a flash loan is like a loan that only lasts for one block. So it's like a, you could take out like a million dollar loan or tens of millions of dollars worth of liquidity out, but you have to pay it back in 15 seconds, which is like, insane like <laughs> when i first heard about that concept i was like wow it's yeah that's crazy. insane so how do you yeah. how do people get all their shit done with the money like do they or already have a contract set up it's a yeah i think the way it works is that because the time limit is so low like if you don't come up with the money like it most likely won't even move because to move that money around like and you don't have it you get you kind of get what i'm saying like if it, if you if they gave you all that money and you had like days to pay it back you would probably do a bunch of different stuff with it but because it's so short it has to be done in a very specific way very quickly to get that money back like if you can't make your money back in 15 seconds then it's like okay time's up we're taking your money back if that makes sense yeah no definitely you basically have to have the money while you're taking the money out as collateral 
Yeah. So from my understanding, like what people do is they will do arbitrage. Are you guys familiar with arbitrage in the market? Yes. So I'll, I'll explain it if some, if some, if a listener doesn't understand uh, too as well. So arbitrage is basically when an asset on one market is not the same price on like another market. So let's say that I ha- I'm at like a farmer's market and I see like green apples on one side of the market. What I could do is I could buy the cheaper apples on one side of the market. Right. And then I could actually try to, if I'm allowed to, I could try to barter those other apples and sell them to the other person that values them higher. And that's a profit. Right. That's kind of what people do with exchanges. I see like, um, like Ethereum on like one exchange and then it's like, it's cheap here, but then it's more expensive here. So it's like, okay, I'm going to buy this cheap ETH and then sell a lot of it on this other exchange. Right. Or sometimes oh, yeah. what people will do is like, they'll manipulate the price of something that's tied to a pool. Like they'll like, buy a lot of it to make it go up or they'll like sell a lot of it to make it go down and then cause a lot of volatility and then they could profit from the volatility that they're kind of artificially making people like rugging you know the term rugging cryptocurrencies where they just rug pulls yeah build it up just pull it back down because there are people that own a large percentage of the entire liquidity pool exactly yeah, that's, I mean, that's like one of the negatives of like a small liquidity pool and a small a small cap cryptocurrency. But the bigger ones, it's it, it's not really at that point. Like it, it evolves past that point that so many people have their hand in the pot and the liquidity pool is so large, like no one person can really sway it. There are a group of people, I guess, if all the largest holders like teamed up, they could do some crazy shit, but that's just as unlikely. But even even in that case, yeah. they could they could sway the price, but they would never like the network can never be deterred unless you have an, a way to take down more than half of the computers. Technically, yeah. So fifty one percent attack, right? What is it called? Yeah, fifty one percent attack. Exactly. So, like for proof of work, you would have to need you'd have to have fifty one percent of the uh, network's computational power to start to attack it to try to like change blocks in it, but. For proof of stake, you have to have 51% of the liquidity. Like for ETH, you have to own 51% of the ETH that's staked to try to like manipulate the block data. And that's because... It's, it's like a democracy, the way it works. Yeah. It's, like, okay. yeah. it's like a shareholder. Like if you own 51% of a company, you're the one who's the more dominant saying person. It's exactly like that. that the yeah. shareholder in Mark, do you think that with cryptos, just like NFTs, you think a lot of them are going to go to zero or you think that there's going to be a lot of winners with different applications? It's That's a really good question. So I think uh, that's, so there's a few things I want to say about that and then I'm going to reflect that into the general market as well. So I read a statistic somewhere or like an article, I think from like Coin Telegram that I think 80% of the coins from 2017 that crashed have not recovered. Which is pretty devastating. Wow, is. How how you said eighty seven? Eighty like eighty percent, I think. Eight zero oh. percent. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty staggering. Uh, but I would say I I'm gonna sound very kind of like kind of boomerish, I guess. But I like to, uh, in terms of like blockchain, if you're gonna invest in it. I, I guess everyone has their own strategy, but the safest bets are Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think everything For else sure. is could potentially be good. I think Solana. So I, I have I have mixed feelings about Solana. I'll talk about that in a minute. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's has some good advantages, but 
Um, Cardano could be interesting as well in the future, but there, I, I would say there has to be changes with, I guess, the architecture. They saw that, then it could be yeah, bullish. Mark, before you go into and, the whole Solano, like the model and stuff, I, I know because you're really like into the whole YouTube scene with investors and stuff. What, what's your whole take on the market right now? So I'll, I'll talk about it in a second, but um, in terms of, I guess, the, the blockchain portfolio, there's a, there's a good one called Bitwise, if anyone wants to look that up. So I think it's like... 90%, like I'm not even kidding, 90% of their holdings is like Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's pretty staggering <laughs> how how bullish they are on those two coins. Everything else is like 1% or 2%. So Whose I think it's like... Are these looking at the biggest it's like, holders? It, it's a, it's, no, it's a hedge fund. It's a hedge fund that has their own investment portfolio and they make it public. It, it's called Bitwise. That's pretty fire. So let me double check the exact values of it. It's called the 10... The fund, the ten fund, or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree that you know keeping those because it, cryptocurrency is very volatile as it is. So at least having yeah. some of the slightly less volatile coins at this point because they've been around longer and have been through multiple cycles of adoption. Yeah, so I'll that's a cool. The, wait, I want. Let me share it real quick. Yeah, sure. The idea that. Uh, I feel like this is really hard to get. And then once I understood this, it kind of all made sense. And I stopped getting scared about crypto going to zero. Like this thing that cryptocurrency is as a whole, plus the adoption of each individual coin, like each cycle that it goes through, you know, like every four years or three years in the past, it's had like a run up, then it dips down mad, but it's still slightly higher than it was originally. Those market cycles, a bear market, a bull market, bear market, that's just the another cycle of adoption of p- people like literally adopting this idea that of believing in crypto and thinking it will be the next form of payment. Yeah. So like we're just in another phase of that right now, you know, whether yeah. you think we went all the way down now or you think we still have more downside or more pressure I mean, downside to go. But, you know, crypto is like here now. Everyone's talking about this shit. And even a year ago, it wasn't like this. Remember, even a year ago, it wasn't. I mean, one one thing I think that would like immediately come to mind is uh, like, is there a floor for crypto for Bitcoin or Ethereum now? Like, like, is there a point where like, like, yeah, it can't go. It can't possibly go lower than this. It doesn't. It could definitely go lower than this, but there is just no way that it goes like to zero at least the big ones like there are so there's so much money there in there now like institutional money too no one's gonna let that shit go to zero yeah well i'll say this if i knew the floor price of bitcoin i'd probably be a billionaire in the next couple of years (laughs) so no one no one really knows what that is like it's very especially in the blockchain space like it's very hard to predict these markets like i was listening to this guy called plan b you guys know plan b i've never heard of plan b He's like no, this dude. He's like this anonymous. <laughs> he's this anonymous dude with like a Twitter handle, like uh, called Plan B, and like his his pick is like it's like a hat, and it says Plan B on it, and it has like like the red like laser eyes, you know, like the stupid like laser eyes at the all the yeah, blockchain yeah, like the- Yeah, it's so stupid. He was like he's like ninety. He said like ninety three k um, November, and then like one hundred thirty five k December. 
Wow. So you're saying like, you're saying he was right or not right? Well, I mean, <laughs> we're not at 135k right now. We're at like what, like 48k? Yeah, I like know. Yeah, so he was, uh, he was, he was right at like two months ago, but now uh, we're like what, like 66%. Mark, Mark, since you brought up the whole topic <laughs> of uh, investing channels on YouTube, what's your thoughts on Jeremy from Financial Education? <laughs> And me, Kevin. I'll talk about. I'll talk about that in a second. Why do, why do I know? I know that Brendan knows the answer to this question already. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's funny. Um, let me let me go over it really quick. To I'll, I'll talk about that, but let me just quickly skim over the Bitwise portfolio. If that's okay. I just yeah, go ahead. A minute on that because some people might be curious. So yeah, I'm not kidding. Like it's a sixty percent of that portfolio is Bitcoin. Thirty percent of it is Ethereum. Uh, I'll say the top five. Solana is like 4%. Cardano is like 3%. Polygon moved up a lot. Polygon was like at nine. It's like top five now. So Polygon has been doing really, really well. Um, I think some people are skeptical about Polygon because someone said something about like a hard fork that got kind of pushed like uh, without a lot of feedback from the community. So some people do think it's very centralized and can cause issues. But what, it's not perfect. Which one's that? Polygon. Okay. Matic Polygon. It's like, pur- it's like a purple... And it's like shaped like an eight at like an angle, kind of. And yeah, see, so like Coin, Chainlink, Allegrand, Bitcoin Cash, and Uniswap is number ten. Um, so, yeah, in terms of like uh, YouTubers, I'm going to give a shout out to someone that I've been listening to. Uh, this guy called Strongman Personal Finance. I was actually on a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. He uh, invited me on to talk about, I guess, like blockchain. It was pretty tame. He's usually very <laughs> kind of like aggressive against people that are in the blockchain space but he was, he was pretty uh he was pretty respectful when he had me on we weren't really talking about um i guess price action too much i was more focused on the tech that's like if it's the innovation like, cause yeah. i think yeah because i think um a lot of people again it goes back to like speculating on just like a dollar or like a like a coin like it, like that in itself with bitcoin mm-hmm. i could see why people are skeptical about that space but again the smart contract space i think is very interesting I think it is here to stay. My understanding, I don't. I, I hope it but is. I think it, it's a positive for humanity. I don't see how it doesn't stay. But. Yeah, I mean, it has. It has. It solves the paper promise problem, right? It, it's a. It's an engineering tool that solves something. I mean, I think it has value in that sake. But going back to because I keep jumping around, financial education and me, Kevin. So I'm going to try to keep this tame. So like. I used to follow, I never really followed me, Kevin, but financial education. I used to follow him a lot, but man, he, it's just, it's me, uh, me, Kevin is guilty of this too. Cause I listened to uh strongman personal finance. He kind of got me on to kind of like why Jeremy is not the best person to listen to in my opinion. Um, and this other guy, Jay Nagy, he does videos on both of them as well. Uh, so I think what Jeremy did, so I can't confirm this. This is just like a, Actually, I'll talk about me, Kevin, first because this is confirmed. During the live stream, me, me Kevin, I, I, like this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Me, Kevin, he was talking about Pel- you guys know Peloton, yeah, yeah, not, not Palantir, but Peloton, this the yeah. stupid bicycle like <laughs> video screen thing where you could like, yeah, yeah, and someone, some kid like died on it or something stupid. It was like, anyway, so that stock was like what, like a hundred over? It was like one hundred fifty dollars, like. I think earlier this year now it's at like what, like 50 bucks. And like me, Kevin was like, 
like Jay Nagy called him out on that. And like me, Kevin was like, he was so smug about it. He was like, Oh, if you actually paid attention, you would know that I sold already. And it was like, in like a YouTube video, he indirectly was kind of referring to him because I think a lot of people were calling him out on it. And he said Mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, if you were part of my private group, you would know, you would have known to sell. So here's my private group link. I'm like, I'm like, I just, I heard that. He just showed you the paid group. He's like, he's like, Hey, if you're, if you're the average listener, I just screwed over your future. If you put all your money in, (laughs) but Hey, join my private group and give me more money. I think that is, so I I would say like for anyone that's new to the market for like, this is, this is like, I'm going to sound like a boomer saying this, but do not buy, this is going to sound crazy to some people and people, I'll get a lot of hate for this. Do not buy individual stocks for the first year that you're trading. That's that's a very conservative thing to say, but I would if you okay if you are going to buy an individual stock, make it like one or two percent of your portfolio. Like you have to like really kind of get a feel for the market because I guess what happened was when I started trading, I had all these winners right because I started buying near the COVID crash earlier. Yeah. I think in 2020, and like everything was a winner, right? But then I started looking at other companies and. I keep talking about strongman personal finance because he does discounted cash flows and he looks at uh, P ratios pretty extensively there we go. as well and all these other financial statements. But the problem, the problem I have with like individual companies is that it's very hard to know what's going on, right? Because of the quarter, this goes back to what I was talking about in terms of like a business being run quarter to quarter, right? I want to know what's happening block to block. I want to know every 15 seconds what's going on, right? If I want to, like if, I mean, that might sound a little paranoid to some people, but you should know what's going on. You should be able no, to be like I, at any time, like, no, like, hey, what's going on in the background? I don't want to have like the Wizard of Oz. Like, <laughs> I have garbage in the background. You know what well, I mean? It's, like, it's also like, if you can have it, why not? And if yeah. it's also secure and decentralized, like, I don't know. I feel like we trust, we trust everyone too much. And I feel like, we we know and have realized time and time again that if you give someone the opportunity to do something, they're probably going to do it. That's or a, like do some shady shit. But that's why, like, if it's decentralized and controlled by multiple nodes, and it, it's like it's hack proof, not hack proof fully, but the network itself, the protocol. John, I'm so happy that you brought up the word trust because Chainlink actually, uh, like. Sergey Nazarov talks about this. He did a talk, I think, uh, earlier this year, I think at the opening ceremony for the Chainlink Hackathon. He was talking about how with uh, trust, and this kind of goes into another part that they had, I think, was uh, basically we want to move from a space where instead of having trust, we have truth. Truth is more important than trust. Like, you don't have to trust the truth. The truth yeah. is eternal. It's, it's truth, like, yeah. it's like that. that is what it is. Like, you don't have to worry about like, oh, do I have to trust this person? It's like, no. The blockchain is aiming to be a truth entity. That's really what it is, right? And I think he also talked about. Um, it, it, here's the, here's the most interesting thing about Chainlink. I think they're trying to make a protocol called CCIP, which is like cross-chain inter. I forgot how it's pronounced, but interpro. You can edit this. It's tricky to pronounce, but like it's a it's a cross-chain protocol. It's able to basically take every single protocol in theory and try to bridge the communication between it so that all this data can be relayed between each other easily. Yeah. I think it's chain, wait, cross chain interpretability. Okay. Now you can edit that part in. (laughs) That's how you say it. 
interrupt. Going back to the the market in general, I had like a quick uh, quick question, Mark. Given the fact that most millennials have been like investing in the past two years, isn't there a massive recency bias with the fact that the S you know the S and P has been up like twenty percent plus when it's supposed to average ten percent? Is this like a a grave warning for future returns? Yeah, let me. So there's a metric. So before I answer that, I I did forget about Jeremy. I was I was ripping in the meat, Kevin. I'm not going to forget. But with the Jeremy, this is so strongman personal finance. We'll go back to him again. He like this came out last night. I'm like I'm not joking. This dude, like Jeremy Lefay, supposedly I can't confirm this yet because it's in his private group. He supposedly he said something like this. He's like, hey guys, I just lost harvested for taxes my Corsair. Like he didn't say I sold my Corsair. He said I lost harvested. That is so, in my opinion, he's, it's like such like double speak, like euphemism, like, oh, hey, I just, I just dumped my bags on you. It's so, it's so shady. What does that mean? Lost harvested for your taxes. That's a, that's a way of, that's, that's him basically trying to talk around. Like, it's like, it's like a schmucky way of saying, hey, I just, I just sold. Good luck. (laughs) yeah he's like peace <laughs> yeah and, oh yeah by the way jeremy earlier this year did you guys know this he was charging 20k a year for his private group did you guys know that or no 20k a year 20? yeah you can 20 yeah two zero k yeah earlier earlier this year but then people I, I think they people were complaining about it like he got exposed for it so now now does he offer 5K. additional services yeah, with that 20k <laughs> Uh, I, 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 no, that's just private group. This is private. It's just his private group, I think. But it's it's much lower. I mean, it's again, it's five k. It's not. I'm joking. It's not lower. You could, you need a, like an extra thousand bucks. But like, dude, like you could like buy index funds and just put that in a Roth IRA, and you'll probably outperform him because I think there's like a statistic saying like, um, I think ninety nine percent of investors, not not day traders, but investors in general. Will not beat the uh, index fund. That's just statistically like the matter of. You know what doesn't? You know what I don't understand, right? I've always heard like Warren Buffett say this that hedge funds don't beat the index fund, but then why are there hedge funds? Like if all these if if, (laughs) if all these billionaires agree on the fact that hedge funds outperform uh, index funds outperform hedge funds, why create a hedge fund? Well. Because of to fees. buy index funds, there. It's problem. because of the fees, bro. Like you could be like, "Oh, I have rich clients and everything," and like I guess some of them can actually outperform the market, but it's very, very difficult to do it consistently. Like you, you get what I'm saying? Like sometimes it'll just be like, um, like idiot luck. It'll be like, "Oh, look how good I am! I'm up forty percent this year," but it could be because there's low interest rates, like last year, and I think they're going to raise interest rates next year. So. Um, if they raise the interest rates, like how they did in the dot-com bubble, like a bunch of these zombie companies that are alive right now are going to get absolutely obliterated. That's my, that's my opinion. That's what happened in the dot-com bubble. If you don't believe me, look at pets.com. I mean, that company like just went down, like its whole history. It's just like, it's like a, it just, it's like a, it's like a ski resort. Like you just go down. Yeah. I I agree with you, Mark, hundred percent. I think, I think companies that have actual cash flow are going to be the ones that are going to succeed in the next, you know, five or six years because of the fact that you know as interest rates go up a lot of these growth companies are not going to be able to take on debt in order to finance their operations and this is going to cause massive panic and i really think a lot of these companies are going to go to zero literally 
Yeah, and going back to um, the dot-com bubble, there was a channel I think I recommended to you, Brendan, called Everything yes. Money. Yeah, so I learned about them through Strongman Personal Finance. He, um, So they, I think they did a video where they were talking about just the dot-com bubble and he was like ripping into me, Kevin, and Jeremy LaFay as well. And they were saying that, I forgot the exact number, but it was something like this. Like for every, so let's say that there's a hundred dot-com bubble companies, mm-hmm. right? He's, they said for every 95 or for every hundred companies that you buy this, 95 of them are going to go to zero during the dot-com bubble. That's, that's what happened statistically. So if you're going to pick an individual company, just make sure that, I mean, I'll say this, like I, I used to hold Tesla, I guess, I think a while ago. Like I forgot the exact time and I had, didn't make money on it. But uh, I think the company, I mean, some people say it's not overvalued because of the tech. I think it's a very ambitious company. But at the same time, like the P ratio is like almost 400, right? So if they, if they, I mean, if they raise their like income significantly on their financial statements, then I think it could be, a more interesting company to invest in. But I just, here's, here's another reason why I don't like buying individual companies. Like if a company goes up a lot, like there's nothing really stopping like the, uh, I guess the CEO from like printing more shares or like, Oh, my stock is overvalued. Let me print more shares. And that's literally what happened with Tesla recently. It went from $1,200 to like a thousand dollars. You guys heard about that? How Elon dumped on retail yeah. recently. I thought it was, I thought it was crazy. So this is like, I didn't know how easy it was to print out shares. Like people, like people joke about how cryptocurrencies are like a joke, but like, here's the thing. Like we have the fed, the fridge, the fed, the fed just prints out money like crazy, right? These companies, they could print out shares like there's no tomorrow as well. Right. Thank you, boys. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, you know where to find us. Black box podcast. No way in the black Instagram and Twitter. You know the deal. Uh, check out some of our other episodes. Get an idea of you know what we're bringing to the table. A black box. Thank you. Love you. No, in the black. Goodbye. <laughs>